Welcome to the HR Chat Show, one of the world's most downloaded and shared podcasts designed for HR pros, talent execs, tech enthusiasts, and business leaders. For hundreds more episodes and what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum, and joining me on this episode, returning to the show, in fact, is the super awesome, fantastic, wonderful Jeff Wald, co-founder of Memory Lane and Bento Engine. Uh, Jeff is an entrepreneur, board member, best-selling author, keynote speaker, and he's the former co-founder of Work Market, which is an enterprise software platform that enables companies to organize, manage, and pay freelancers. Jeff was on the show about three years ago now. Um, I don't want to say that I've been sitting by the phone waiting for him to say, hey, Bill, let's do another one. But Jeff, it is nice to have you back. Welcome. It is unbelievably great to be back. That is a wonderful intro. Uh, I should be so lucky to have everybody say that when I walk into a room. Uh, listeners, Jeff is a very kind and warm guy. Uh, we really hit it off when we recorded a few years ago, so it's an absolute pleasure, Jeff, to have you back on. For those who didn't listen to the previous episode, however, why, why don't you start by taking a couple of minutes and uh, reintroducing yourself? Sure, sure. Well, you know, you and I first spoke because I had finished my book on the future of work, uh, and I was doing the podcasting tour, and I got to tell you, I, I kept a list of uh, the podcasters that I just thought were exceptional. And so once I kind of like had something, if you will, to come back and talk about, uh, I reached out to a few people, Bill, and you were obviously very high on that list. Um, but as you mentioned, I am a serial entrepreneur. I've done a bunch of startups. Uh, the first one we sold to Salesforce. It was a content uh, sharing platform called Spinback, the company called Work Market, which you referenced. Uh, we raised a ton of venture capital for them. We sold that to ADP. Uh, and then after serving on the senior leadership team of ADP, I was able to complete this book on the future of work, uh, The End of Jobs, Rise of On-Demand Workers and Agile Corporations, which we were lucky enough to get onto some bestseller lists. And, um, you know, now I've been kind of co-founding and serving as chairman of uh, a ton of different companies. You mentioned Bento Engine and Memory Lane. There are five others. And uh, as you know, uh, I did just found a new HR tech startup, which uh, we are staying in stealth for. Uh, we did raise a ton of venture for that, but we're going to stay uh, in stealth mode for about a year as we build software. And so for the next year, I'm just kind of staying under covers and writing code. Uh, or to be more accurate, much smarter people than me are writing code. And I am just kind of talking to CHROs and trying to make sure we build the right product. Thanks for tuning in to the HR Chat Podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe and leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. And now, back to the conversation. Okay, thank you. So I'm not going to ask you about this new exciting HR tech startup, although I very much want to. Um, but uh, We'll be I, back. I, I will <laughs> promise to come back when we are launched and public. You will be the first stop. I promise you that. Thank you. Thank you very much. But what about um, two of those five companies that you are involved with, uh, Memory Lane and, and Bento Engine? Do, do you want to tell our listeners a bit about those? Sure. You know, this whole kind of startup lab that I've been doing since I left ADP, there have been about seven companies that I've started, co-founded and chairman of, I've helped fund. 
Some of them are ideas I come up with, like Memory Lane, and some are people that I've known for many, many years uh, that I've helped as they get their startup off the ground, like Bento Engine. So staying with Bento Engine for a second, he's one of my best friends from, uh, from business school. He was the global head of strategy at JP Morgan's asset management business. And he said, you know, I want to do a startup. I, I think there's a better way for the financial advisor community to give advice to their clients. We want to create moments that matter and not have the financial advisor say, oh, you should buy shares in IBM. I mean, anyone can do that. It's the different moments in someone's life around them getting married, around a child being born, around a child reaching age of maturity, blah, blah. There are all of these different moments, and we want to make sure the financial advisors have the right advice at the right time to help their clients. And so we built that and, you know, that company's off to the races and actually is doing great. Memory Lane is an example of a company that is an idea of mine that I went and found someone to go and build. And so Memory Lane, Bill, is based on the fact that everybody dies and nobody wants to be forgotten. And so how do we get all of the stories out of our heads and into a searchable, shareable, and fun interaction such that you can get to interact with the people you love after they've left by searching and creating you know their stories looking at their stories uh but then if it works and it's still a big if on this one uh we can then train a model to be that person such that you can't you can not only come and say hey what was grandma's story about when her and grandpa met but you can also say, Grandma, this just happened. What do you think? And have Grandma respond in her voice with what Grandma most likely would have said. So that's um, that's some super exciting stuff. That one's much earlier. Bento Engine is you know, doing real revenue, has tons of clients. Memory Lane is at its earliest stages, but uh, super exciting stuff. I think that's a really fascinating idea. Uh, okay. I appreciate it. Now, not everybody like like your buddy from business school is, is lucky enough to know a chap like you. Okay, uh, to, to, talk to me about some of those challenges and opportunities for those looking to raise money for HR tech companies in this current fundraising environment. Well, I'll tell you this. Look, this right now, as we sit here in November of 2023, is an unbelievable, historically bad time to raise money. And so for any entrepreneurs out there that are raising money, and I've been down this road many, many times, it it may not be you. And I say may not because it actually may be you. Like, let's all be eyes wide open on this. If you've been trying to raise money and you can't, sometimes it's the market and sometimes it's just a bad idea and you should stop. But I will tell you, when I think about Memory Lane and I was sitting with the guy that runs Memory Lane now and he was all dejected and, oh, you know, we only raised this much and this and this. I said to him, I was like, dude, the fact that you have raised any money, you have to have your head held up high. Like, this is historically bad. So it's a process like any other. You need to have a top of the funnel and you have to, much like with sales, you had a hundred introductions to get to 10 really good opportunities to be able to close one. And so if you're not thinking about it like a funnel, you're not thinking correctly, the things you can do to optimize your action in the funnel, first and foremost, as much traction as you can possibly show. So Bill, like with this company that again is staying in stealth, 
you know, I didn't just go into the VCs and say, hey, how you doing? I'm Jeff Wald. I've built companies and sold them. Give me money. I went in and said, here are 100 CHROs that I've spoken with that have said, if I build what I'm thinking about building, they'd be customers. And by the way, here are the names and numbers. Call them. And I went in and said, hey, I sat down with ADP and said, ADP, if I build what I'm planning on building, would you distribute the product for me? And they said, maybe, because, you know, ADP is ADP. And so, you know, being able to show that kind of validity that I had spoken to real actors in the space on the distribution side, and obviously there's nobody better in the world than ADP at a lot of things, but most importantly at HR distribution, and with CHROs in chair, and I had said, here's the thing I may build. Is this a problem for you? Will it solve it? And they said, yes. So going in with that kind of traction, with that kind of validation, that's super important. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the HR Chat Show. IEA training provides professional development to a changing workforce with changing needs. And we're proud to support this episode of the HR Chat Podcast. IEA offers lots of courses, webinars, and on-demand training to meet our students where they are and help them reach their goals. We're proud of our contribution to better risk analysis and high operating standards in the industry. Learn more at ieatraining.org. And now, back to the conversation. And from everything I've read, the HR tech space is, is unique, Jeff, in, in the sense that you can't go in with an idea for an HR tech company unless one of the one of the co-founders knows human resources right and, and unless they know people processes and unless they have experience of of being in that role in some capacity or other would, would you agree with that compared to other industries compared to other technology solutions I think that is correct there are a lot of very domain specific things about our space whether they're privacy and how data is treated, whether they're about the systems involved and where you have to be able to connect into the rest of the HR suite, whether it's understanding the workflows. Um, there are a ton of things that are very unique to HR tech. And I think that if you come at this and you don't have expertise in the space, you don't have people on your advisory board that were CHROs, you don't have people that were at some of the big HCM players uh, that are in your ecosystem. I think you're doing yourself a disservice and we all know that startups have a massively high probability of failure. You're increasing your probability of failure from very, very high to almost certain if you don't come into this space with expertise uh, and relationships. What I like to do, Jeff, on a Saturday morning is go for a jog around the local lake with my dogs and listen to nerdy uh, podcasts or uh, video YouTube videos uh, around these sorts of subjects and uh, I was listening to one just this weekend actually and uh, some of the advice it had for those who are thinking about starting uh, an HR tech company was don't do it on your own do it with at least uh, two of you uh, ideally two or three founders w would you agree mm -hmm. with that too look that one Bill I would agree is across all of startup land Look, this is a lonely journey and it is hard. It is difficult. There are all thing, all the kinds of things about it that are just really, really taxing on someone's energy, on someone's mood. And so 
when I think about the companies I've co-founded, by the way, I think my the biggest role I play there is not any intellectual role. It's just being there with the other persons. They go through these ups and downs. And so I don't care what you're starting. This is a lonely journey and you need to have as many people in your corner as possible. And it's not just your friends and family, right? Like they won't really understand what you're doing day to day. It's not just your advisors. Both of those things are super helpful, right? And you're, they're all helpful, no doubt. But someone that's down with you in the trenches that is thinking about this as much as you are, that is invaluable to have them stand shoulder to shoulder with you as you hit those inevitable rough patches. So absolutely in HR tech, but I think it applies really anywhere. Okay, thank you. So you've been there and done it, but at some point you did it for the first time. What are, what are the differences between raising capital as a serial entrepreneur versus a first time entrepreneur? Well, I think we know the data here is pretty clear in terms of people coming back as second and third time founders have a higher probability of success and the VCs know that. And so it is easier to raise capital. That's kind of point one. Point two, I come in with a bigger network of people like, you know, 10 years ago, I could not have shown up with 100 CHROs that said, oh, if he builds it, I'll, I'll use it. So clearly the network is bigger. Um, and then third, you know, like, I have been here and done this. And so I kind of know not exactly what's around the corner, but I have a pretty good idea. As an example, we were talking about when we might release kind of a V1 of the product and you know the team is rushing to try to get something out the door because it is super foolish to not put things in people's hands as quickly as you can, right? We're all super smart in startup land, but we all don't know a gosh darn thing. Well, you know, and when you have actual answers is when like 100 people have touched what you've built. Then you, then you know, right? Like right now I have ideas. I don't really know anything. But there's a balance between getting those ideas in market and getting them in market in a way that you're not going to have to redo everything you just did. You don't have to refactor your code. You're not going to create a mess in what we call in startup land technical debt. So as an example... I sat with the team at our first team offsite up in Toronto uh, last week, and I said, look, take an extra month or two. Do it right. We know broadly what we're building. Again, we don't know anything until we put it into people's hands, but we know what the different services and architecture points are going to be. So build it right, because I've been there when you build it wrong, and you just throw a bunch of stuff against the wall, you get it out as quick as you can, and then you need to rebuild everything once you're in flight, and that is a super, super, super terrible place to be. And so as an, ex as this, you know, using this example, I've been there. Like I know what it is to have to have that tech debt and how much it, pain it causes. So take it a little slower. Let's do it right. Yes. And apologies again, Jeff, for not being in Toronto when you were there. It would have been so cool to hang out in person. <laughs> next time, man. Next time. Next time. Next time. Okay. So, uh, Imagine I'm some dude and I come into an HR tech version of Dragon's Den. You're sitting there looking all cool, okay? Uh, as an angel investor in HR tech, Jeff, what, what are you looking for? Well, given that I do get to play this role often um, at various conferences at their kind of uh, Shark Tank, Dragon's Den type things, um, I will say, look, the most important thing for any investor anywhere is really just summed up in one word, and that's traction. And you can define that in your space, whoever you want. 
just show me that there is some traction to what it is you're building. And that could be customers that have signed up as beta customers. That could be people that have signed up as design partners. They can obviously be actual customers, but then I want to know what is their engagement? What is their usage? Because just because someone thought the product was great, the sell to does not mean the sell through their usage of the product and therefore their renewal is going to be there. So show me that people are using it. Show me that you've solved a problem and people have separated themselves from their hard-earned dollars, their hard-earned budget, in order to spend some of that on you. Because you show me what people spend their money on, and I'll tell you what they care about. They care about where they allocate those dollars. So show me that traction. That's what I will always, always, always want to ask. And quite frankly, all investors will really fundamentally want to do that. So whatever you can do, and I appreciate it's hard, right? Like, well, how do I raise money if I don't have any customers, but I can't get any customers because I haven't raised any money? Yeah, I get it, man. It's it's a catch-22. It sucks. Entrepreneurs figure it out. They just figure it out. So I've watched uh, way too many episodes of Shark Tank and Dragons. And I used to work. I swear for a dragon, a Canadian dragon, many years ago, actually. Um, have you? I wonder. Ever invested in someone who had a terrible business idea, but you bought into them because of them, because of their personalities, because of their tenacity instead? Um, I would say sort of. I wouldn't call it terrible business ideas. I've said things along the lines of "You're amazing." And I've known you for some time, right? Like it's highly unlikely that, you know, the cold outreach you we've never met, the odds of me investing in you are literally zero. I, I don't know you. Why would I invest in you? Like just that doesn't happen. But people that I've known for a long time that I think are exceptional, I have said something along the lines of, I don't really see it, but I have no doubt that you'll figure it out. That I've said many, many times. Not, hey, I think your idea is terrible, but you're amazing and tenacious and things like that. I will say I don't really get it, but you know, not getting it is very, very different than thinking that getting it and thinking it's bad. When we last spoke, uh, you just released your book, uh, The End of Jobs, The Rise of On-Demand Workers and Agile Corporations. Um, it talks about the future of work and how robots and AI will impact jobs. Well, guess what? We're in 2023. That's all people talk about these things. I can't record an episode, Jeff, without talking about this stuff. Uh, that was, of course, over three years ago. How has, if it has, how, how has your view changed on the future of work since then? Well, AI certainly kind of came at us much quicker than I I thought. You know, in the book, I talk about the many different AI winters that have occurred because there are three fundamental needs for AI, uh, algorithms, computer processing power, and data sets. And those three just never aligned in terms of them kind of hitting their breakout velocities. Uh, but they certainly did with uh, our friends at OpenAI, and that was a surprise. And what was not a surprise was the amount of reaction uh, about, oh my God, all the jobs are going to go. And once again, much like we talk about in the book, we've been here before. There is no reason to think that jobs are going to be lost in mass in the near or medium term. And we could spend as much time as you want talking about why that is, but it has never happened in the past. It will not happen this time. And so while 
AI came to the fore quicker than I had anticipated. I do not think our fundamental thesis that the AI, AI and robots will have a substantive impact on work, but it will lead to no net job losses over this 20-year period that we were looking at, kind of 2020 to 2040. Uh, that stands completely, completely true. Will there be job losses, Bill? Without question. But there will be no net job losses. Because right now, all that's happening is a huge amount of hiring within the AI and shoulder industry spaces. The Association for Talent Development Members and Customers are professionals who help others achieve their full potential by improving their knowledge, skills, and abilities in the workplace. They go by many titles, talent development managers, trainers, instructional designers, performance consultants, frontline managers, workplace learning professionals, and more. ATD's members come from more than 120 countries and work in organizations of all sizes and in all industry sectors. Interested in learning more about membership and ATD events? Visit TD.org. But you'd agree that the, the more menial jobs, the, the lower skilled jobs, they, they are probably going to be uh, taking over because I mean for no, no other reason Jeff you, you've got a uh, situation where the boomers are retiring at the moment uh, the generations coming up they're just not not enough of those folks um so for that for that reason alone surely you've got to be you've got to look at examples like Japan um, mm -hmm. who find find robots as, as, as an alternative workforce no question Bill that we are in a structural supply and demand imbalance in almost every single industrialized and even many emerging economies. Japan is at the tip of the spear where its labor force has been shrinking for, I believe, about a decade now. The United States is entering that phase. And so we will see how that plays out. But without question, labor forces are shrinking. And unless there is the associated demand destruction, and that demand destruction can either come because of massive productivity increases robots and AI, or just from a prolonged recessionary period. Uh, and neither one of those is going to happen anytime in the near term. Um, you're going to have a structural supply and demand imbalance. And so how do we address that? How do we address the fact that we are five to six million workers short of what we will need in this country? Well, a part of it can be productivity increases in robots, sure, but it takes time for those technologies to propagate. And that was one of the major points of the book, Bill, is not that these things aren't going to take jobs, not that they aren't going to have impacts. It just takes time for these impacts to play themselves out. And we talked a lot in the book about ATMs. And, you know, when they first came out, everyone's like, oh, my God, all the bank teller jobs are going to go. And the answer was no. We actually have 20% more bank teller jobs today than we did when the ATM reached full propagation. So how do we square that circle, right? What explains that? And, you know, that's exactly what we talk about in the book. And when you have a thoughtful, data-driven, historical perspective that involves talking to HR practitioners about how technologies impact work, then you can have a substantive conversation on the future of work. And that, again, is kind of the crux of the book. Let's look at history. Let's look at data. Let's actually talk to the people that make the decisions about workforce planning. And now let's use those three lenses to look. That doesn't give us a crystal ball, but it gives us a higher probability 
of having a nuanced, thoughtful view of how the world of work may play out. And I mean, I'm pretty biased here because I'm a Canadian passport holder. But what about America? What about opening up your borders a bit more to your to your brothers in the north eh? and having more knowledge workers from there? That's, it's, it's not a good uh, it's not a good scenario for Canada, probably because it would be more of a brain, brain drain. But they're ready and they're so friendly. Anyway, Jeff, we're just about to wrap up here <laughs> before we before we do that. So uh, how can our listeners learn more about and connect with you? Well, you know, we have jeffwall.com that has all things anyone would ever want to know about me. Uh, and LinkedIn is the only social network that I use. I was actually at a marathon gathering this uh, weekend. And the guy was like, yeah, I, you know, I follow you on Instagram. And I'm like, no, you don't. I'm not on Instagram. So that's that's ridiculous. Um, but uh, LinkedIn and at jeffwall.com. Perfect. Well, that just leaves me to say, Jeff Wald, you superstar, you lovely human being. <laughs> Thank you. I've got so much respect for Jeff, guys. He's, he's awesome. Jeff, thank you very much for being my guest today. Well, you can guess why it is I keep coming back, Bill. So <laughs> with praise like that, I'll be back anytime you want. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. I will take you up on that. And listeners, until next time, as always, happy working. Thanks for listening to the HR Chat Show. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe and listen to some of the hundreds of episodes published by HR Gazette? And remember, for what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com.